Welcome to Sound DeFi, the podcast that delivers key insights from thought leaders on all things DeFi, blockchain, crypto, and private market data. Today's episode is sponsored by Accumulate, a universal interconnected protocol for Web3, enhancing any layer one or two protocol with interoperability, higher throughput, low predictable cost, ULR addressing, key management, and robust digital identity capabilities. To learn more, visit www.accumulatenetwork.io. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Sound DeFi. On the screen, you see Michael Creighton. Michael's president of uh, DeFi Devs. We're going to talk a little bit about Invenium's uh, DeFi Dev space today on the program. This podcast is all about delivering key insights from today's thought leaders on everything DeFi, blockchain, crypto, and private market asset data. And looking forward to the conversation again today. Michael, welcome. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's talk first a little bit about your experience in the public markets. And then I want to talk about, obviously, how that dovetails now into this new space on the private markets in our conversation today. But back me up in the public markets first. Absolutely. I spent about 20 years at Chicago Board of Trade and Chicago Mercantile Exchange. I started out like most people as a clerk, and then I was a trader, and then we started the firm, and I was you know, CEO and head of risk at a fairly, you know, mid-sized trading firm in Chicago. We had about 85 or 90 people at our peak. So very familiar with capital markets and whether it be bonds, which is our kind of our forte, crude oil, natural gas, commodities, futures and options and those things. And so I had a front row seat to be in public markets for 20 years. When I met Pat O'Meara two years ago or so, he told me about his vision to sort of disrupt private market assets. And he, you know, his thought was that data was the key to get to that point. And so I was very intrigued from the start because I understood the size of these markets and some of the problems that are inherent with these assets, which, you know, the net result is they're difficult to trade. And we could talk about that a little further, but through better data, you know, that's the first step to get these assets to trade. And it's right now sort of the market's cornered on the public side with the data, right? Unfairly. I think so. I mean, you know, Bain put out a report. I, I forget the number, but it was either 500 trillion or 900 trillion, just a staggering, incomprehensible number. And that, that's what's owned in private market assets like commercial real estate, private equity, private credit. So it's just an unbelievable sum. And these are held by pensions and endowments and family offices and the like, and large corporations. But it's just difficult to trade these assets because they inherently don't trade very often. And and so, you know, you've got all this money tied up. And the key question is, how can you sort of provide greater liquidity to these assets, secondary trading, maybe get these these assets to trade on exchanges? And that's sort of the that's sort of the key problem that I think Invenium wants to solve. But there are a lot of steps that have to be taken to get there. And the first step is this, you know. This this step with better data, and then that's what the Invenium IO platform. That's what they're. That's what it's built to. Uh, you know, just the problem to solve. And we'll be relying a lot on you in this uh, Sound DeFi podcast because of not only your expertise in the areas you just described, but also you have a journalism background too. Tell yeah. us about that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, I was in graduate school many years ago in, in New York. I was at Columbia, and I had an opportunity to get internships at Time Magazine and Bloomberg and Voice of America Radio. And it was just awesome. And then I worked there after graduate school. I worked for time in Australia for about a year and a half. And I got to tell you, all three of those places were just incredible places to learn how to be a journalist and, and work as a journalist. So I got great training. Uh, I really had no experience before that, but I did that for about three years. 
and you know, fast forward to today, and and you know, I I've written now on LinkedIn for four straight years, every day, seven days a week, rain or shine. But a lot of the techniques and approaches that I learned when I was a young journalist, I you know, kind of apply to what I'm doing today, and and I just I'm just glad I had that opportunity when I was younger because I just learned a ton. I was around some very very talented people. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved with Invenium. How did that partnership come to be? So Pat and I had met, and Frank Volchek, we had met um, in a previous transaction we were working on. I think that was in 2019, I think it was. Yeah, that's right. And so we had a series of calls and got to know one another. It was before COVID. Even then, we didn't meet in person. We just had a bunch of phone calls. And then about a year later, Pat reached out to me and said, hey, would you, you, know, would you consider joining the team? And I said, you know, absolutely. I, you know, I, I knew a little bit about what Invenium was working on, and I just thought it was the right opportunity. I got to tell you, I mean, it is unbelievable the growth that the company's had since I've been there. It's literally, um, it's incredible. I mean, when I started, there were phone calls in the Monday morning, like five or six people, and now we got, and then you can't even fit all faces on the screen. There's 40 people from around the world, and there's you know another 60 overseas. And I, it's just incredible. So, um, I, I mean. Pat has done so many things right, but I, I have to give him, if there's one single thing I'd give him credit to, it's, it's building an outstanding team. Uh, I've just never been around so many talented people in, in my life, in every facet of the firm, whether it's legal, capital markets, technology, HR, whatever it is. I mean, we just continue to, to add great people and it's a very diverse crew, but um, and we're, you know, we were decentralized before the pandemic. So we're kind of used to being having people all around the country. There's pros and cons to it, but needless to say, I don't think we could have, if we were in one city, I don't think it would have worked, you know, if we were in an office in one place. So we we're kind of, I don't want to say lucky about the pandemic, but I mean, we were, we were ready for it. I guess I would say from a decentralization standpoint, and we've been, you know, to grow, to grow a firm six or tenfold during a pandemic is, I'd say, very impressive, to say the least. Because, you know, I mean, obviously, it's, it's hard for us to go out and have dinners and meetings face-to-face with clients. You know, that's a real challenge for any business. But we've been able to kind of muscle through it and just grow the business in spite of it. And that uh, gargantuan growth that has uh, uh, overtaken Invenium in the last couple of years is exactly a right size for the gargantuan opportunity that's out there in the private asset market space. Just talk about this opportunity and what the vision at the end of this that you see. You know, you always, especially as a writer and you're a journalist too, you always want to be careful about hyperbole and just, you know, grandiose statements that are just garbage. I, I, don't, I don't know that there's any market in the world that's bigger than private market assets. I I mean, maybe space. <laughs> I mean, that's about the only thing I could think of that would be bigger. Maybe the space race. Okay, fine. I'll give you that. But there's nothing bigger. There's no bigger market that needs to be disrupted. And I think that, you know, if, if you look forward to a world, you know, maybe five to 10 years from now, let's just use, I, I use Wrigley Field as an example because I live a mile from there and I'm a Cub fan. What if, you know, you had a monthly mark from Jones Lang LaSalle or Cushman or CBRE audited by a Deloitte or something. If you had a monthly mark on Wrigley Field, what is that asset worth? Where all the data had been credentialed, anchored to the blockchain, so that counterparties could trust that data. And you could say, well, it's worth 2.4 billion or 2.6 billion or 2.8 billion, whatever it is. And now you have, you know, for five years, you've got a running tally on what you think the thing's worth for based on all these inputs. Well, then if you had that, then Brookfield Properties could come in or Morgan Stanley or Citadel or anybody could come in and say, I want to buy 20% of Wrigley Field. Fine. 
And I mean, you could trade that like stocks are traded on the New York Stock Exchange. But then if you take that and just think, well, that's just not Wrigley Field. But what about every commercial real estate asset in the world? You know, the Park Hyatt downtown, the Sears Tower, you know, it just, it just goes on and on and on. And then what if you could do that for private companies as well? I mean, you start to think about the amount of opportunity that exists. It's, it's impossible to comprehend. So I think in a lot of respects, you know, what we're trying to accomplish is a very, you know, we're solving a very big problem. But I also think we're so far kind of in front that we just have a little bit of a first mover advantage in, in my estimation. And you know, what gets me excited about this, just thinking about the possibilities here is, you know, back to your, your tenure in the in the public markets, you know, and investors are looking for deals. They're looking at numbers. They're looking at growth and everything else. But the opportunity just widens for so many others, not only for the companies that are looking to sell Wrigley Field or, you know, a, a particular piece of real estate or whatever, but also for the investors. I mean, that that's probably most exciting. That's sharing the wealth, right? I mean, we have a, the chairman of our advisory board is a gentleman by the name of Sanjay Vatsa, spent his career in in, in many, many Wall Street shops like State Street and I believe Citigroup. And and he's a real evangelist for sort of opening up markets globally to all investors, you know, so there's true decentralization so that smaller investors would have access to deals that they never had before. I'm forgetting the, the exact word I want to use for that description. But anyway, but he sort of has this vision and says, look, I mean, wouldn't it be great if smaller investors had access to private equity deals, you know, over time, it's not going to happen overnight. And so I think that's part of the vision, maybe a small part of the vision is just the democratization of markets. That's, that's the long-term goal. There's so many steps that you have to go through to get there. But I think that to allow investments to be open to a wider network of, of, of investors is, is, you know, very attractive idea. You talked about trusting the data, credentialing the data, and then anchoring it in the blockchain. Why blockchain? Well, if you think about it, the way I look at blockchain, the way I compare it to public market assets, it's like an audit trail, right? And an audit trail, like when you trade in the CME, you know, if you buy 50 lot in corn or sell 100 bonds or whatever you do, there's an audit trail and you trust that data. Now, it's still anonymous. It doesn't, it won't tell you who bought it and who sold it, but you know that that thing happened. You could bet your life on it, right? I mean, you're, and there's zero ambiguity. And every investor in the world can see that. And it's effectively, it's a similar thing. I, I think blockchain is more sophisticated than an exchange audit trail, but that's the function it's trying to serve is so that people can trust the data. They know exactly where the data came from, who changed it last, you know, any, anything in and around. They don't, And so that's a very powerful thing. And, you know, if you look at due diligence costs and the time and money it takes to sell a large building, a $100 million property or a billion dollar asset, it takes a year. I mean, it takes nine months. But if you have all that data assembled and credentialed in, in the right manner, it just brings these costs down. And I mean, look, like anything else with technology, what you're doing is you're taking something that already exists, but you're making it much more efficient. That's really what inventing MIO is. It, it's an efficiency tool because you could still do it the old way with Excel spreadsheets and other functions, but that, that world is kind of going in the rearview mirror. 
I've heard the blockchain referred to as like the interstate highway before, you know, as, as that kind of level of infrastructure. And I guess in, in your case, what you're talking about is speeding that process up, making it more efficient, really from a, the difference between a gravel road and a very long, uh, you know, a dusty road and, and time versus an interstate, right? Right. You know, you just got to be careful with analogies and stuff. But you look at these blockchains and I call them like one lane highways. And like I've used Ethereum for the real purpose of transactions or any, I mean, not just to buy and sell Ethereum, but actually to send transactions on the Ethereum network. And obviously it's a great network. It's the number two protocol in the world effectively behind Bitcoin, but gosh, is it deeply flawed? I mean, it, it can get you know slowed down. It's incredibly expensive. I always tell this story. I wanted to buy my first ever NFT and I had a little bit of money in, in Ethereum or whatever at the time, nothing crazy. And so I was going to buy a $100 NFT and I, I clicked send and it was going to cost me $1,800 to send it. I'm like, that, I mean, I can't get my head around that. Could you imagine if you went on Amazon and tried to buy a sweatshirt for a hundred bucks? And then they said the, the shipping cost is going to be $1,800 and you have no alternative. You're like, oh, I can't buy it. I mean, unless I want to spend that. It's so preposterous. So I think the business that I'm with, Invenium DeFi Devs, is built, you know, we're the lead sponsor in a protocol called Accumulate. And we were sort of calling this the universal interconnect protocol that would allow chains to you know, send data back and forth. So now if you're on Ethereum, you could send data to another chain and vice versa. So instead of having this clogged one lane highway, you're allowed to have exit ramps and on ramps to send data to different protocols. Uh, we think that's like obviously necessary. You know, if you look at blockchain, our lead engineers, like this is a fundamental flaw. You have these blockchains where your data is stuck on Ethereum or stuck on another chain. We don't think that's a long-term solution. And, you know, so that's one of the many problems in many of DeFi devs and Accumulate is trying to solve. But it's like you had talked about before, just the blockchain on, you know, you're on a gravel road going nowhere, that, that can be problematic. <laughs> yeah. So talk a little bit about, you know, Accumulate. Give me some real use cases where this has been successful. Well, you know, we're still sort of in startup mode. We're, you're working on the test net. This is a, a hard fork of the Factum protocol and what we accumulate. So a lot of it's still early days with the business development. But with, I'll give you one example. There's another project, one of the top, you know, let's call it one of the top 50 projects in the world. And they're enamored by what, what we're working on and what Invedium's working on. And they sort of reached out to us and said, look, you know, we're a very big player in the blockchain world. What do you think about, you know, potentially building some sort of platform for private market data. And, and we're, we're, you know, it's early stages, it's early, it's, it's early in the conversations. But the point is, I think what we're starting to see are a number of inbound calls to Invinium and, and my team where people are seeing, they know what we're doing and they want to partner with us because they understand the problem. At the end of the day, Invenium will have the clients that, that will have that data, right? And so the people will say, look, what if those clients wanted to sell that data? That gets really interesting, you know? But I, I think the market is starting to recognize that Invenium is incredibly well positioned to be a leader in private market assets. And so like I said, now the inbound calls are coming to us. Propositions are coming at us. You know, when you start a year ago, it was the other way around. We're just calling everybody and trying to tell our story and evangelize. And now I feel like it's it's shifted the other way. And I think that's you know indicative of a fact that we're you know people are hearing the message and it's resonating. So back to the future again, Michael, a little bit when it comes to accumulate, whether it be private market assets or private equity or commercial real estate. You know, we go through the metaverse. Yeah. Um, just give me give me the vision there that you see. Again, yes, it's in its startup phase. It is uh, you know gaining interest as you say, but where does it go? 
Oh, that's a good question. Well, funny you mentioned the metaverse. We had a team reach out to us that is very, very involved in, in different protocols and projects, including what are, what is known as Axie Infinity, Decentraland, Sandbox. They're kind of in the cutting edge of the metaverse. And, and I know it's weird because a lot of people don't know what the metaverse is. They just kind of think it's just a, a name, but that's not the case at all. There's tremendous activity in and around various trading and gaming and all these different things. So I think when I look at the protocol of Accumulate, you know, and I always ask this to Paul, I say, Paul, what's this tool built for? Is it built for a specific industry? He says, no, it's built for whoever can use the tool. And, you know, so while this could be unbelievably, well, Accumulate could be unbelievably productive for Invenium's needs and their private market asset needs, it can also serve an enormous purpose as it pertains to metaverse and gaming. Again, you've built a tool that is scalable and can be applied to many different industries and solve problems across, you know, global landscapes. So, uh, you know, it, it's funny, you, know, you almost don't want to just pick one thing. I mean, we had, a, we had someone reach out to us just yesterday saying, I've looked at all your white papers and light papers and web stuff. And I have a, we have a, we want to do some work in the healthcare industry. Great. That's amazing. I mean, you know, so now I say, all right, fine, let's go solve problems in that industry. The point being, I think the sky's the limit in terms of areas that we can disrupt. Fascinating. We're going to learn a lot more on Sound DeFi from uh, the experts at Invenium and the DeFi devs. Invenium president Michael Creeden with us today uh, for a great kickoff to Sound DeFi. We're going to spend a lot of time delivering key insights from uh, today's thought leaders on DeFi, blockchain, crypto, private market, uh, asset debt, and so much more. So. Uh, thanks for watching today. Scott Hennon saying so long. Michael, thank you for the time. Appreciate it. Thanks. It's been a blast. Good to talk to you. Speak to you soon. You too. Bye. Bye-bye.